So welcome to my book review from Johan Hari, Lost Connections, Why You're Depressed and How to Find Hope. This book was seriously profound. Um, I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I've taken, what I do is when I listen to audiobooks, I always have a notes page running on my phone and I end up having to take notes. I probably took three or four times longer to listen to this book, just sheer amount of notes that I took. You know, I've got five pages worth of, of notes here. Um, and so how is the best way for me to review this book? Well, um, I just want to share my enthusiasm and passion for it. And, and hopefully that'll be enough to inspire you maybe to go check it out yourself. What I will share is just some of the structure of the book, some of the really um, key things that I, I really took away from it. Um, and if there's anything that I'm about to say uh, in the next sort of 20 to 30 minutes, if it really kind of resonates with you or if it kind of brings something up in you that you're uh, a little bit worried about, then then either reach out to me personally or, or, or speak to a health professional that might be able to help you with um, anything around the topic of depression and anxiety. I'm not a, I'm not an expert in depression and anxiety. Um, so I, I'm again, reach out if I can, if I can have a great conversation, but please do, if you feel prompted to go and have a great conversation with someone who really knows what they're talking about, because they'll be able to best help you. But what um, Johan really structures the start of this book is his own journey. And for the last 20 years, he's been someone with depression and anxiety. And the story and the narrative that he was always told um, when he was diagnosed was that depression was linked to a chemical imbalance in the brain. It's great chemical imbalance in the brain. Take these pills um, and you will no longer be depressed and anxious, which is great. They might have a short term boost. And, and Johan found that the, the, the actual uh, antidepressants helped, for, help, helped him in some way up until the point where they didn't. Um, and what this book really contains is the nine causes of depression and anxiety. And what I think the book really shows is that depression is a result of how we live. It is a result of how we live. Um, and that actually, rather than looking at, you know, depression and anxiety being a, a weakness and a, a feeble uh, response, actually to help you realize that depression and anxiety is our human response to adverse circumstances you know to it is a it can serve a purpose it can be a sign it can be a trigger it can be a a flag as it were for us to pay attention to the way that we are living and just know that it's a response to either some grief some trauma or the fact that our needs are not being met for a prolonged period of time so first and foremost take a look at the book first bit's all about the story broader than the chemical imbalance. Um, and it actually is a response to the way that we live. And lastly, that it is actually a, a positive thing because we are able to pay attention to what it is that we're not getting as a human being that we need. So the nine causes of depression, disconnection from meaningful work, disconnection from other people, disconnection from meaningful values, disconnection uh, from childhood trauma, from status and respect, from the natural world, from a hopeful and secure future, and the real role that genes and brain plays, uh, brain changes play. So talking about meaningful work, 
what he says is that work acts as a depression generator. If there are many of us out there that um, signals bad, I'm sorry, dude. Sorry about the signal, guys. What he says is that if if many of us suffer from work that lacks meaning, if no one notices our effort, if there's an imbalance between effort and recognition, if we lack control over our work, if we feel irrelevant, all these factors can play a part into helping us feel depressed and more anxious. He also says that loneliness, you know, loneliness can be a, um, as much of a physical pain, as much painful to us as, as real physical pain i'll say that again because I, I tripped over my words being lonely can result in the same amount of pain as if it were physical and you know we are hunter gatherers we are we have grown up we have evolved as as part of tribes um, we need other humans to to survive and what he's saying is that now as a generation we are the loneliest we have ever been um breakdown of neighborhoods breakdown of family times we're disconnected and lonely people scan the environment, scan the world for threats, um, which means that we naturally feel more anxious and protected. Um, and, and anxious people are in more need of love and support, and they often feel you know, they receive less because, you know, depressed and anxious people sometimes become harder to love. Um, and if that's not safely expressed in the, and, and looked after, it can snowball and, and, and become worse. What else does he say? Sorry, look through my notes. Again, if, if we're depressed and we're anxious and we are um, on the internet, you know, that is where internet addictions can come in. The online world can offer so many things that meets our needs, that where we crave meaning or belonging or, or validation or tribes. That is where we can, if we're not getting those needs met in, in real life, shall we say, in inverted commas, that is where we can become addicted to what the internet can provide us, thus further reinforcing disconnection from real human connection in the person. The next bit is disconnection from meaningful values. And what he says is that if you value things external to you, extrinsically motivated, we will naturally be unhappy because no matter how much money, status, um, or how we look, no matter how much we might get, there's always someone that has more. There's always this pursuit of more. Um, so there's just a lack of, of satisfaction that we will, um, we will gain from those things. What he says is that we should focus on intrinsic goals, which are all about focused on becoming who we are and who we're supposed to be. That's what makes us happier. I'm really sorry about the connection if it's bad. I will persist in the hope that you are following. As I flip the page on my notes, materialism leaves us constantly vulnerable to a world beyond our control. When we're materialistic, we're always wondering about ourselves. Do we look right? You know, we do. And um, we're always then worried about what others, other people are thinking about us too. Because if we're valuing um, external things to us, if we're valuing our weight, our position, our, 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 our status, 
then we naturally put that onto others and we assume that they value those things too. And we worry about um, what other people think. It makes us vulnerable to praise. It makes us vulnerable to criticism. If your self-esteem is based on external things, you're always going to be subject to external comparisons. Again, just another factor in not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy. And as a society and as a culture, there's a quote that says someone in an advertising agency says advertising at its best is when it makes you feel that without their product, you're a loser. And that if you don't have their product, right? Think about that. Think about how we are constantly being bombarded with messages and advertising. And if their goal is to make us feel like a loser without their products, we're constantly getting slapped around the face with all this advertising that says we're not enough. We don't look good enough. We don't have enough. We, we need these things to become someone worthwhile. Otherwise, you're a loser. And here's the problem I have most with advertising is that kids, teenagers especially, are most vulnerable to this sense of not being good enough, this feeling of inadequacy. So again, whether we realize it or not, our culture is really playing on us all the time from a very young age. There's some research that says that by the age of 36 months old, a child can recognize 100 logos. Advertising is sometimes responsible for the societal values that we shape and create money, status, things, fast cars, uh, the lifestyle. Um, as we continually fall foul of the standards of the culture, we get further and further disconnected from what matters, which is in our heart. Imagine if we had adverts that encourage us to be more intrinsic, we'd spend less because we would realize we already have exactly what we need. We'd spend less. That is why there is not enough advertising out there to say hey you're enough it is uh, also a factor uh, of depression if you've been through an adverse child experience uh, i won't go into this area too much just in case there's something that i don't know about you that that has um has, has happened throughout your lifetime but just know that um What do I want to say here? What do I want to say here? There's links. If that has not ever been addressed, acknowledged by a professional and acknowledged by yourself, that that can later in life manifest in depression and anxiety. And this is the most important thing. If there's ever been any childhood trauma, um, depression is a normal response to an abnormal experience. Depression is a normal response to an abnormal experience. There's also things around status and inferiority and, and, and our culture's full of it, our cultures and our hierarchies. Um, and actually what this research says is that we're, when we're lower down the chain of status and hierarchy, depression is a submission. It's a, I'm sick of being humiliated. I'm going to, I, 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 my depression is a response to the fact that I feel so humiliated. I'm just going to back out. I'm just going to back out and I'm, hopefully I'm going to be seen again, links to obesity. Obesity is not the problem. Obesity is the smoke. The fire is the, the, the reason for that behavior. Now for people with adverse childhood experiences, sometimes obesity is connected with just, I don't want to be seen. I, I'm going to use this as a way to, 
fend off all attraction so I'm not being looked at. Um, sometimes it is a defeat, white flag, leave me alone, surrender kind of response. Another um, link with depression is disconnection from the real world. So um, not being part of nature. Exercise reduces depression and anxiety. And there's some research that suggests that if we aren't connected with nature, if we live in inner cities, we're more at risk of depression. Also, another risk factor is when we're disconnected from a hope and a future, secure future, whether that be lack of security around where we're going to live, whether our job, whether our income, whatever that's going to be. Because if we can't see this hopeful and secure future, what that really does in terms of depression and anxiety is it makes us feel that our current circumstances won't ever change. It makes us feel like without a positive future that it feels permanent. It feels like our pain might never go away. When we can envisage a day that is always better than yesterday, we've got hope and a future and a reason to keep showing up. But when we lose that hope and a future, we, we believe that we're not able to change our circumstances, that today's pain will be tomorrow's pain. And it's this cycle of, I just, you can see where that spirals. And the, the question he says is ask not what's inside your head, but question what your head is inside of. And that is the bigger framework of the cultural society of values. He says, you can have everything by the stands of our culture and still be depressed. And the reason why is that you are not broken. We are not broken. The culture is. The cultural standards that we have in a Western world are a big part in reason why we are more depressed, more anxious, more disconnected than any other generation that there's ever been. What then, he says, is the question is, what if we, rather than antidepressants, were these little tablets? What if antidepressants were connections? If depression is about disconnection from things, then what he says is, could antidepressants be connections to other things, connections to each other, connections to social prescribing, to meaningful work, to meaningful values, to sympathetic joy and overcoming addiction to the self by acknowledging and overcoming childhood trauma and restoring a connection to the future. If you've got any questions as I go, please let me know. I hope that I'm still coming through loud and clear. It's frozen on my phone as I try and uh, look for your comments. But do let me know if you have any questions as I go. What he says is that disconnection or, or a connection to people is that we want to know that we are really making a difference to, to people. People want to make a positive difference and have a positive impact on humans and, and just know that we've improved the world in some way. Happiness is the feeling that you've impacted another human being positively. What he says is as well is that if advertising is a form of mental pollution, we should be then really trying to focus our value set intrinsically. And one way that we can do that to help shape intrinsic values is, is to ask, um, what do we spend our money on? And then to ask, what do we value? 
What do we spend our money on? What do we value so that we can see this gap and we can see this gap and we can make conscious choices to be, do and have more of what we actually value and create space for this intrinsic nature. Another thing he says is really helpful is creating this sense of sympathetic joy is visualizing, bringing joy to other people, visualizing, bringing joy to others. He found that when people sign up for a eight week meditation course focused on love and kindness, they are twice as likely to then go on and help others and then double the sense of compassion and love and kindness for the people greatly reduces depression. Why? Because it's double. It's two things. One is that we, uh, when we meditate, we get a greater sense of uh, a disconnection from our ego, which is all about ourself and our needs. And it's a, a greater connection to love, source, God, faith, whatever that might be to you, love. The overwhelming experience through this meditation experience is love, love for self, love for others. And the next bit then is that when we have love for self, we have love for others, we are more likely to connect with other human beings, which then it, you can see how this is starting to tick off a number of the reconnections, a so reconnection to um, ourselves, reconnection to um, other people, a community. To be, to be able to make a difference, to do meaningful work and to have ourselves not feel validated, but feel of, of worth and of meaning by, by being able to help people. And then that community, that sense of tribe, that flow of oxytocin, you can see how all coming back to this sense of love, moving away from shitty values, moving away from addiction of self, helps us really realize the things that don't matter and the things that do. He also says that having a childhood trauma compassionately acknowledged by an authority figure can significantly help reduce uh, signs of shame, humiliation, poor self-esteem, judgment, um, and, and in a sense, start to then heal yourself and overcome that depression. Those are some of the keynotes that I really took. But do you know, I was blown away by the summary chapter. Um, and it's a few pages long, and I just wonder whether I should just read it. I just wonder whether I should read it. So this is on page 311, and it's the conclusion. It says homecoming. I'm going to read this. It says, after my research had ended and I had written most of this book, I went out walking aimlessly for hours one afternoon in London when I realized I was only a short walk away from the shopping center where I'd collected and swallowed my first antidepressant as a teenager nearly 20 years before. I wandered over and I stood in that doorway and I remembered the story I had believed on that day and for so long after. I'd been told it by my doctor and by Big Pharma and by the bit best-selling books of the day. The problem is in your head. It's a chemical imbalance. Your broken machinery needs to be fixed, and that is the answer. People were walking in and out of the pharmacy past me, and given how common antidepressants are, I knew it was likely that some of them were going in to collect their own pills. Maybe one of them was about to swallow a pill for the first time, and this whole tale would begin all over again. I started to wonder what I would say now after all I had learned to that teenage version of myself. 
if I could go back in time and talk with him before he swallowed that first pill on the spot. I would try, I hope, to tell that teenager a story about his distress that was more honest. What they've been telling you up to now is false, I'd say. That doesn't mean all chemical antidepressants are bad. Some credible scientists argue they give some temporary relief to minority of users, and that shouldn't be dismissed. The false story is the claim that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain and that the primary solution for most people is a chemical antidepressant. That story has made Big Pharma over $100 billion, which is the main crucial reason why it persists. The real story, I would explain, has been known to scientists for decades. Depression and anxiety have three kinds of causes, biological, psychological, and social. They are all real, and none of these three can be described by something as crude as the idea of a chemical imbalance. The social and psychological causes have been ignored for some time, even though it seems the biological causes don't, e don't even kick in without them. These causes aren't some kooky fringe theory, I would explain. They are the official conclusion of the world's leading medical institutions. The World Health Organization, the leading medical body in the world, summarized the evidence well in 2011 when they explained, mental health is produced socially. The presence or absence of mental health is above all a social indicator and therefore requires social as well as individual solutions. The United Nations, in its official statement for World Health Day in 2017, explained that the dominant biomedical narrative of depression is based on biased and selective use of research outcomes that cause more harm than good, undermine the right to health and must be abandoned. There is a growing evidence base, they state, that there are deeper causes of depression. So while there is some role for medications, we need to stop using them to address issues which are closely related to social problems. We need to move from focusing on chemical imbalances to focusing on power imbalances. So I would tell that teenage boy that the implications of these findings for his pain are massive. You aren't a machine with broken parts. You are an animal whose needs are not being met. You need to have a community. You need to have meaningful values. Not the junk values you've been pumped full of all your life, telling you happiness comes from money and buying objects. You need to have meaningful work. You need the natural world. You need to feel you are respected. You need a secure future. You need connections to all of these things. You need to release any shame you might feel for having been mistreated. Every human being has these needs. And in our culture, we're relatively good at meeting physical needs. Almost nobody starves, for example, which is an extraordinary achievement. But we've become quite bad at meeting those psychological needs. That's a crucial reason why you and so many other people around you are depressed and anxious. You are not suffering from a chemical imbalance in your brain. You are suffering from a social and spiritual imbalance in how we live. Much more than that, you've been told up till now it's not serotonin, it's society. It's not your brain, it's your pain. Your biology can make your distress worse, for sure. But it's not the cause. It's not the driver. It's not the place to look for the main explanation or the main solution.
because you've been given the wrong explanation for why your depression and anxiety are happening. You are seeking the wrong solution because you're being told depression and anxiety are misfirings of brain chemicals. You will stop looking for answers in your life and your psyche and your environment and how you might change them. You will become sealed off in a serotonin story. You will try to get rid of the depressed feelings in your head, but that won't work unless you get rid of the causes of depressed feelings in your life. No, I would say to my younger self, your distress is not a malfunction. It is a signal, a necessary signal. I know this is going to be hard to hear, I'd tell him, because I know how deep your suffering cuts, but this pain is not your enemy. However much it hurts, it's your ally, leading you away from a wasted life and pointing the way to a more fulfilling one. Then I would tell him you are at a fork in the road now. You can try to muffle the signal. That will lead you to so many wasted years when the pain will persist. Or you can listen to the signal and let it guide you away from the things that are hurting you and draining you and towards the things that will meet your true needs. That was half of the final chapter conclusion homecoming in the book Lost Connections, Why You're Depressed and How to Find Hope. Johan Hari, if I've breached any copyrights by reading that out, I am sorry, deeply sorry, but I found tremendous value in that book. I thought I'd share it with my like-minded community of We Are Always Better Than Yesterday. And I trust that they will find such great value that they will go out and read or listen to your book, Mr. Hari. So please do not sue me. I appreciate you. Um, I hope that the signal has worked in some degree that you've been able to follow this. I can't see any questions on my live stream because my internet is clearly having one of those days. Um, but I hope this has been useful. I hope this has inspired you in some way to seek out connections to more meaningful work, people, values, connecting with trauma in the past, if that's relevant connecting to a sense of oneness with the with the with the world and connecting with a sense of hope and a future if you have experienced depression in the past if you are experiencing it now know it know it as a signal know it as a signal for you to pay attention to and that just know that it is not to do with the solely to do with the chemical imbalance in your brain but it's more indicative of the shitty world in which we operate in the the, the constant messages of things that we get bombarded with external to us that we say we should value. And there are things out of kilter with how we live. It is not what's inside your head. It is what is inside is what your head is inside. I can see some comments. I hope that you're well. And I shall speak to you all very soon. If you've got any questions, do message me below. Um, and I shall speak to you all again very soon. Love you, appreciate you, seek out connection to each other, to your positive future. We are always better than yesterday and we are better together. I love you guys.